News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Joining us now is a former Detroit talk show host, one of the best in the city during the time of Kwame Kilpatrick when he was the mayor of Detroit. He's also a programmer for our sister station in Richmond, Virginia. Greg Henson, thank you for coming on tonight. Hey, Ryan. Good to hear from you, man. How are you? Good. Yeah, when I saw the news about Kwame Kilpatrick, who is serving time for, it was like two dozen felonies for ripping off and just scamming the city of Detroit, among many other things. It reminded me of all those years you were on as in a talk station in Detroit, and you were right in the middle of all of this, watching it all happen, and I thought, oh, man, this this is hard for me to watch. I can't imagine what it was like for you to see Kwame get out of jail early. Well, it's funny, too, because when he moved to Dallas, I was living in Dallas at the time, so I got to see even the abject stupidity of this man as he thumbed his nose at the justice system when I was in Dallas, too. But when I see it, it nauseated me because Kwame Kilpatrick, I think we all went, uh, I think we all were very excited when he was first elected mayor because we thought, hey, this is a son of Detroit. This is a sharp kid. This guy can make some stuff happen because Detroit at the time is always struggling always lagging behind everyone else when it comes to fixing their city. Like Detroit should have been Pittsburgh, Ryan, mm-hmm. and and done some of the things Pittsburgh did back in the 90s when they saw the steel industry declining, and, and Detroit never did a thing about it. So we thought, okay, here's a new set of eyes, a young set of eyes. And he came in and promptly lied, stole from the city, and then was so brazen, he lied again. And he cheated on his wife, and he lied about it. I mean, this was a bad guy, a guy set on self-interest from day one. Yeah, he really took advantage of his position, and really, when you think about a public servant, uh, we have one here in St. Louis, and St. Louis Mm -hmm. is kind of similar in the sense where you have the city, and then it's surrounded by St. Louis County, where they're two different governments. And we had someone just a couple of years ago who ripped off the county and was found guilty on federal charges and currently is in a federal prison. And I said, he looks like the Pope compared to Kwame Kilpatrick. So finally, the, uh, the sins of Kwame caught up to him. He was found guilty on... Uh, I think it was like 24 of his 30 federal charges, and rightfully so. Kind of give us an idea, when you're watching all of this happen, one of the biggest frustrations for me was seeing him reelected. People still reelected him in office after all of these allegations and things that they were watching unfold. That frustrated me probably the most of all of it, because there was an opportunity to get him out of office. But then you go back and look, and there's people are happy that Kwame Kilpatrick had his uh, sentence commuted, and they thought, oh, this is a good thing that he's getting out of jail. He would win again if he were allowed to run, and at this point it's unclear if he's allowed to run. Um, The problem, Brian, and this is bigger picture, it applies to St. Louis, it applies to Detroit, it it applies here in Richmond, Virginia. Identity politics is far more important than policy in 2020, and that's a problem. And I think even some Joe Biden voters are kind of seeing that now. They voted I don't know what they voted for, the first black slash Indian slash Asian woman to ever be vice president. Then they voted for, you know, it's always a first. It's always the first person to do this, rather than what their policy initiatives are. And with Kwame, the policy didn't matter. It was he was one of us. You know, he's one of our. And and, and that's a positive and a negative. 
in the suburbs, we thought, good, finally a young kid who grew up in Detroit, he knows the weaknesses, he knows the strengths, he'll fix this for his city and the people he grew up around. And instead, he used that power to to enrich himself and the friends. It was this hangers-on. All the friends that he grew up with, the losers, the derelicts, people that he grew up with, he gave them all jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's what that, that Ryan was one of the bigger problems is, and you know, he came from a very corrupt political machine. His mom was a representative as well and she was corrupt and she's now retired. I believe till uh, mama cheeks, Kilpatrick, we used to call her. Um, but yeah, it's identity politics would get him elected again. Hey, May, Mary and Barry got elected after <laughs> doing crack with hookers. I mean, and it was all identity. You know, oh, wait, we, wait. We're voting for skin color instead of the best people. In, and it's not my, and gender, not just skin yeah. color. Gender, skin color, first, third person to ever do this, first transgender, first gay, first black, first, you know, whatever. We're not voting with our heads. We're voting with our eyeballs. And that's really a problem. Yeah. So let's go through some of the controversies of Kwame Kilpatrick so people can understand them, because <laughs> you mentioned, I mean, there are so many different ones and some of them that come to mind, because you said a lot of his hanger honors and some of his family members, like cousins, if I remember, were clocking in like 120 hours a week for a job they, they didn't actually hold. There was the, of course, the cars, he was giving cars away to family members <laughs> and himself, and he was doing it under the radar of the city council. Uh, there was, of course, that party. And you talk about Marion Barry. I mean, this story also has prostitutes in it. So there's all kinds of different uh, uh, angles well, to this one. <laughs> well, the, it, this all started with uh, the part the, the, the Explorer controversy. His wife was driving an Explorer, and he lied and said it wasn't a city Explorer, and then a very quick and easy check showed us that it was, in fact, a city Explorer that she had to have. That was the, the one of the first tip-offs? the first kind of tip off that this was not a very honest person, right? But if you're ever bored, just Google Kwame Kilpatrick Party at the Manugian. We had a we had a song about it. Mm-hmm. And um, what happened was he was holding a huge party at the mayoral mansion. Now, I don't know how it works in St. Louis, but Detroit's one of the cities where there's a mansion for the mayor. It was mm-hmm. donated many years ago by the Manugian family. There's a big party there. Well, the story goes at the symphony, Tamara Green was giving Kwame a lap dance and whatever else was going on. And his wife was on her way out of town. Well, apparently she came back to the mansion, saw this going down, and he beat the stripper with an inch of mm. That same stripper turned up dead, and she was killed by a gun that is the standard police revolver in the city of Detroit. Right. So... I don't know that anything was ever proven on that, but it certainly um, draw drew the flies to Kwame Kilpatrick's pile of steaming. You know what? Yeah. And that's when everything started to get uncovered. The fact that he was having an affair with his chief of staff, who, by the way, was a high school friend of his. Mm. You know what I mean? This, this is how all dirty and corrupt it was. And it was all right out in public and no one cared. Yeah. And the city didn't seem to care until the news outlets got after it, Ryan. Yeah. And, and mostly on top of that, I think if I remember, there were even some whistleblowers within the police department that came forward, were promptly fired, ended up suing and received yeah, millions of dollars. Money. Yeah, they, they won because of all this. And all of this oh. was being covered up. And this is just some of the issues. This is not all the issues of Kwame. Yeah, this this went on for years. And it, 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 it was, uh, you know, 
it was one of those things where you would just watch the news every night and you would shake your head that no one was doing anything about it. You think the swamp in DC is bad. The swamp in Detroit was worse. Yeah. And it probably still is. We used to call it the Democratic machine that put mm-hmm. these people in place. The same people that were responsible for Governor Granholm, the same people that are responsible for Governor Whitmer. I mean, these it's very incestuous and it's very, very dirty, man. And, and you know, you were living in the area. You know exactly what was going down. And, you know, Kwame was a vindictive. I'll give you another story. I was in – I was at Tom Brady's first Super Bowl – in 2000, was it two? Hmm. 2002 in New Orleans. Hmm. And Detroit was set to host the 05 Super Bowl. So I'm in my hotel, and um, and I'm walking around getting ready to go to the game, and this limo parade pulls up, three, four limos, and out pops Kwame and his henchmen from Detroit. They're there on the city dime, partying and enjoying themselves under the guise of, Learning how to run a Super Bowl in your city. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we so we get back to Detroit and we start talking about it. And we found out that some of the elders from the city had to pull Kwame aside and say, Cool it. Yeah. The city is broke. And yeah. you're very high profile. I mean, that's how bad it got that his folks were telling him cut it out. Oh man. It, it this is just like part of the tale and it's such a crazy story because it lasted for so many years and the problem the uh, one of the biggest problems it set Detroit back so much and look at that it led them into bankruptcy and all these other problems that the, it's going to take them a lot to dig themselves out and imagine if they didn't have all that harm that inflicted harm during that administration how much better of a position they would be in today and that's the shame because going back to the start it, it would trouble me because they would be more than welcome to uh, bring him back into office, seeing that he was reelected. Well, and there's still sy- people sympathetic, you know, that people in Detroit that are cheering, they're happy that he got off uh, they, they years early. to get him out. They lobbied to get him out. Here's the thing. You just brought up a really great point that goes unnoticed. Back in the late 90s and early 2000s, the money was flowing. The economy was strong. Tech boom was going down. Every other city, with few exceptions, managed to use that time to revitalize their city. Pittsburgh did it. New York City did it to a, to a degree. You know, uh, St. Louis, Dallas, Milwaukee, all, Chicago, all, all these cities were able to kind of piggyback on this great economic times, except Detroit, mm. because they were taking millions of dollars out of the city. And the, the number one revenue driver in the city of Detroit is water. And so the Detroit Water Company makes billions of dollars a year, and they were giving out sham contracts for Detroit water. That's why that led to the Flint water crisis, because the prices were getting jacked up so high to provide water to Flint. Flint went looking for other places to get water and decided on the Flint River mm-hmm. when the pipes couldn't handle it, and that's what caused the lead poisoning. But a lot of this goes back to the Detroit Water Company had to make up all these shortfalls. And so it was indirectly part of the problem for Flint, too, because they would raise these prices, Ryan, so high that even some of the western suburbs were like, whoa, you know, if you lived in North Illinois, you were still paying. You know, in in Oakland County, which is the richest county in the region, you were being jacked and jacked and jacked. 
because the city shortfalls were becoming bigger, bigger, and bigger every year due to corruption and things like that. Oh, it's so bad. You know, there's other places. I know yeah. in California, they're just thieves when it comes to water. So you see that in some places. Yeah. Uh, and so, electricity out there oh, too. Ridiculous. So I, I got to say, you were one of the influential people that really got me interested in talk radio. I was working at a talk station through college when I was going to Central Michigan, but when I would come home and after I graduated from school, I would always listen to your show and you gave me really inspiration of what more talk radio could do. Uh, You and Michelle were just fantastic and I was listening to your guys' show and I got to say, during that time, the Kwame Kilpatrick years, uh, it was just great radio. So to come on and talk about it tonight, it means a lot to me and I got to say, former uh, Detroit talk show host, but currently he's a programmer on our sister station in Richmond, Virginia, the big powerhouse uh, talk station in there, WRVA. Greg Henson, thank you for coming on tonight. Ryan, I appreciate it, man, and I know we've talked before. You're very nice to say that. Um, it's nice to hear young people who used to listen to us who are in the business now, and there's a lot of good talk show radio guys and music guys either that came out of Detroit, so you're right along in that legacy. Greg joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America, KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com on KMOX. In Overnight America, we continue up until midnight. Then we have the replay hours, and the replay hours have some action-packed interviews scheduled there, including with Peter uh, Gentala. He's the senior legal counsel for the National Center on Sexual Exploitation and also Lisa Haba, she's a partner with the Haba Law Firm, and they filed a suit against Twitter saying that they knowingly distributed uh, minors and sexually graphic videos and photos, and it's just real terrible, terrible anguish and everything that goes on with this. And if you haven't heard that story, we have it up on the podcast at Ryan Recker Radio. You can get it right there on Facebook or uh, Overnight America, the podcast, but it'll replay later tonight, too. And it just, oh, man, there's so much that's going on anymore. And right before the break, I only got a chance to play a little bit of what was the back and forth over the weekend with Rand Paul and George Stephanopoulos on ABC discussing the events that are leading into what we're seeing today when it comes to the election. And you you heard a little bit there, and, and I wanted to continue because they went on a little bit further because I like that Rand Paul will be more than happy to push back if someone pushes him. I think he's willing to give his point of view on these sort of things and not really... Because uh, uh, What happens sometimes is that people are very much afraid of the backlash if they were to speak out against something, even if it is a problem. And I, he's not one that would see something as a problem and say, well, I'm afraid of the backlash by addressing a problem. You may n- disagree if it's a problem or not. And they continued on. And this was uh, Sunday over on ABC. You're saying that absolutely it was you're saying there was no fraud and it's all been investigated. And that's just not true. So it's not what I said, sir. I said the Department of Justice found no evidence. Let me, let me finish. finish my point. No, you say you said something that was you, not true. You say we're all liars. You're just simply saying we're all liars. And I said it was a lie that the election was stolen. Premise that you're right. And we're wrong. Well, let, no, well, let's let's talk about the specifics of it in Wisconsin. Tens of thousands of absentee votes had only the name on them and no address. Historically, those were thrown out this time. They weren't. They made special accommodations because they said, oh, it's a pandemic and people forgot what their address was. So they changed the law after the fact. That is wrong. That's unconstitutional. And I plan on spending the next two years going around state to state and fixing these problems. And I won't be cowed by liberals 
in the media who say there's no evidence here and you're a liar if you talk about election fraud. No, let's have an open debate. It's a free country. There is there is no widespread evidence of election fraud that overturned the results. That was stated as well by the Department of Justice, led by President Trump's attorney general. In Wisconsin, there were counts and recounts. Never studied that. Even that's certified. not true. Even that's not true. Even William that's Barr not said true. that Barr said that. But there was yes, he said that. Yes, that was a pronouncement. There has been no examination, thorough examination of all the states to see what problems we had and see if they could fix them. Wow. So then you get a little bit bigger feel for the greater scope of this sort of thing. And even back when the, all of this really started and, and people started to bait it, I. I tried to be as honest as possible, even throughout the course of the show. And I said that the chances of being able to present something that would overturn the election are zero percent, right? Five percent at most. It was such low odds. And I would do segments on the show and I would say, you know, there, there is no hope for a re-election for Donald Trump. It's over. And people would call in and believe that there was some Hail Mary pass and things that could happen. And I just I just don't see it. I don't see any of that happening. Joe Biden's going to be sworn in on, on January 20th. And yes, that's exactly what happened, mostly because that was the most likely scenario. But I've always said this, too. I've always said that if you truly believe that there was something that happened that shouldn't have happened, if laws were ignored, if there were some kind of questionable activity, then even if you are not in office, you still have the ability to prove it and vindicate yourself. You can do those sort of things. And we're at the point right now where even that line of thinking is looked at as treasonous if you're a member of Congress, because they look at you and say, well, you're not allowed to say that because if you think that you're inciting violence and you're responsible for what happened on January 6th, which is simply, again, not the case. And I also have to point out like one text message that came in here. Um, and here's the text message. Would other members of Congress that spoke out during the unrest and encouraged the unrest subject to impeachment or removal based on the Ohio case used as the standard? I think what we're treading on, and if you're going to use any sort of language or anything for that matter, and to say that this is an impeachable offense, but keep in mind, they're not going to be enough votes to follow through with this, right? It's he, number one, he's out of office to begin with. It's a mute point. I think most people look at this as some sort of circus, political charade. So they're just going to say, no, thanks. I'm not going to vote to convict just based on that. But nonetheless, let's just say if we were going to set that threshold to where it's at right now, and you were to say that, yes, you're the one that incited and this is what the new threshold is, then I think you can go back and look at so many different members of Congress who have used language that is actually worse and point at it and say, well, here is what you said and here's what happened afterwards. And if you want to set that threshold so low, that's a dangerous precedent to set. It's when you're just trying to play fast and loose because you hate the person, that person being Donald Trump then you're going to find it coming back and biting you because you're going to be held to that same standard. But then again, I don't think they want to be held by that same standard because the the bar and the threshold being so low, that's not a standard. That is just, hey, I'm going to just point and anything I point at is if I'm against it, then it's guilty. And that's no way to handle yourself, let alone elected officials. This is Overnight America KMOX. With over 26,000 parts, tools, pieces, and accessories, 
Agra Supply Company is your go-to for truck accessories, pet and livestock supplies, outdoor living necessities, agriculture and tillage, as well as lawn and garden equipment and parts, and so much more. Come visit our local knowledgeable staff at our Petersburg location or shop online at agrisupply.com. 